All right. All right, all right. Good evening, good evening. Welcome. I appreciate you uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to join with us uh, yet again for our uh, discipleship class. This is class number three, and um, we're going to be digging a little deeper into uh, answering the question tonight, what is discipleship, and looking at some other things that are related to that. So um, let's do this before we go any further. Let's just uh, bless this time together and, and pray together and agree together that tonight's going to be a pivotal, transforming life that brings great glory and honor to our Heavenly Father. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the many people who are joining in with us live now and even others, Father, that will join us uh, later uh, watching this on, online and re recorded, Father. And I just thank you, Lord, whether it's now or later, Father, that as men and women uh, access this teaching and this time of learning and growing together, Father, that your Holy Spirit is going to settle in uh, with them and among them and, up and upon them. And Father, we acknowledge Him tonight as our teacher. We submit ourselves to Him tonight as, as He whispers to us, as He speaks to us, Father, as we commit ourselves uh, to learning, Lord, as, as we just simply show up and sit down and get still and, and give you place in our lives, to work in our lives and to teach us and show us, Father, things from your word. Thank you, Lord, for this time together tonight. We call it blessed. We take authority over demonic spirits that would try to distract us and hinder us and, and somehow resist us, Lord, from uh, experiencing the balance of this class. And we believe you, Father, tonight that minds are going to be renewed, lives are going to be transformed, and your name is going to be glorified. And we declare this in faith. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Praise God. All right, so just a couple of things. Uh, if you'd like to register online, you can do that uh, through the church website, hccnow.org. Some have asked if it's necessary, and it's absolutely not necessary. And if you are attending this class to get the completion certificate, again, 30 out of the 36 classes, uh, you know, attending those, the full class now, don't. Don't watch 30 minutes of it and say you watched it, amen. But if you complete 30 of the 36 classes, then you qualify for a completion certificate. And um, that's whether you register or not. I'm just inviting you and giving you the opportunity to register uh, and make that uh, next step level, if you will, of, of commitment. Um, that's my uh, email address also on the screen uh, behind you, mark at hccnow.org. Um, if you have questions, things pertaining to the class that you'd like to ask, feel free to reach out to me via email. I know a lot of you on, on Facebook, both Heritage Facebook page and my personal Facebook page, you do a, a lot of commenting during the class. I appreciate that. Uh, time has kind of constrained me from, from really being able to re reply and respond to all that here of late, but thank you for that. And that's another way, amen, that you can uh, acknowledge your attendance. So. Um, let's go back to the uh, title slide because um, tonight we're going to finish up and kind of move into some other things. But we've been for the last two classes answering this question, what is discipleship? And one of the things that we've learned is that there's a lot of confusion in the body of Christ today uh, over what discipleship actually is. Uh, a lot of people think of it as, as like, you know, the K-5, if you will, preschool, if you will, um, of, of Christianity and 
and really that's a, a poor way of looking at it and understanding it. And so we've been making some different statements and then building on those. I'm going to simply review those briefly tonight uh, before we get back into point number five. So the first thing that we said about discipleship is that discipleship is our Creator Father's way of bringing us to the knowledge of the truth. And we looked at some different verses that confirm this, but basically what the Bible reveals to us is that a lot of people have been born again. A lot of people have received salvation but not all of those who have received salvation have come to the knowledge of the truth. And a lot of times we, we mistake getting saved, receiving salvation as coming to the knowledge of the truth. But really what we see is our salvation is a doorway into um, our ability then to be taught the truth of God's Word and, and to have it make an impactful, meaningful difference in our lives. The next thing we looked at is we said that discipleship is a commitment and it's not just a commitment we said it's an uncommon commitment and we looked at the things in the scriptures that the Apostle Paul by the Holy Spirit gave us concerning the commitment that a world-class athlete makes uh, to running uh, their race or competing in their area of, of sport and how much more important uh, the race that we're running actually is and how we should also uh, respond to these things that are before us with an uncommon commitment. So discipleship is a lot of things. Um, and one of the things that we see about discipleship, it is an uncommon commitment. We then said that discipleship is a process intended to reveal Christ in us. And we spent most of class number two on that very, very important point. And among the things that we looked at last week, if you haven't had a chance to watch that class yet, um, please, I'm asking you to do it. All right, it's, it's, it's extremely important for a lot of reasons. It's, it's extremely important because um, it, it explains so much about discipleship and clears up so many misperceptions about it. But also, it really provides uh, a, a, an important foundation that we're going to be building on for weeks and weeks to come, the material that we covered in class number two. But among the things that we looked at there is that discipleship is this process that we commit ourselves to and it's the process by which the inward reality of the new birth becomes an outward expression of life you became something through the new birth that you were not before uh, and discipleship is how that new creation that new identity everything that's true about you now because you're in Christ uh, goes from something that uh, it resides deep inside of you to something that you experience and enjoy uh, in your daily life, and not to mention all the people around you that would also benefit from that. So discipleship is a process intended to reveal Christ in us. We, we dug into some Greek words um, last week as well that provide the, uh, the, the foundational definitions, and in, in, in my opinion, some of the most basic and important understandings of discipleship that, that, are, that are available to us. And what we see is that a disciple by definition is someone who puts forth an intense effort to learn by experience. And that Jesus, our Master, uh, is wanting to teach us not just to tell us what He knows, but to literally reproduce Himself in us so that we literally and truly become Christ-like, Christians, okay? 
And so again, we broke down those words and looked at those um, in the Scriptures. Now, number four, discipleship is an attitude. Uh, and we spent some time last week defining what that means. But again, there's a certain mindset that uh, a disciple has that uh, is... Um, uh, I, you, know, you hate to say it this way, but remember what Jesus said, that if you refuse to take up your cross, then you can't be His disciple. And so, disciples of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ approach their relationship with Him with a different attitude than uh, someone who has not made that commitment. doesn't mean they're not born again, but again, discipleship is next level uh, growth and development in the things of God. And we see the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest disciples who ever lived, uh, in the twilight years of his life, um, he says things like uh, he's going to keep pressing and reaching uh, to lay hold of those things for which Christ Jesus laid hold of him. So he didn't rest on his laurels. He didn't start phoning it in because he had grown and developed so much in the things of God. But his attitude was as much as he's experienced, as much as he's accomplished, as much as he's uh, grown in the things of God, there's still room for him to grow and develop and lay hold of more and more things and be more and more effective in what he does for Jesus. And so, again, that's a, a perfect example of what we're talking about, a discipleship attitude. Now, this brings us to number five. Number five says this, discipleship is the bridge that carries you from salvation into the fulfillment of your purpose and God-given destiny. Discipleship is the bridge that carries you from salvation into the fulfillment of your purpose and God-given destiny. Now, every person listening to me, I can say confidently, every person listening to me has a God-given destiny. You were created for a purpose. How can I say that confidently that every person listening to me has a purpose and a destiny. It's because every human being that God created has a purpose and a God-given destiny. Now, there are a lot of things that um, are similar, uh, or we could even say general, uh, when it comes to uh, individual uh, you know, destinies. Uh, there's going to be overlap in the sense that uh, there are a lot of things that we all have in common when it comes to purpose and destiny. But then we also see that Father God made us all very unique. Of all the billions of people who've ever lived on planet Earth, no one's ever had your thumbprint. And so that's just one way of, of you know, signifying the uniqueness uh, that, that, that is you as an individual. And so when we talk about purpose and God-given destiny, uh, we'll talk in general terms, but we also see that you have been uniquely gifted you have talents and abilities uh, that um, other people do not have. And these things, again, are important clues uh, to what Father God uh, has put you on this earth and then brought you into His kingdom to accomplish. So discipleship is the bridge that carries you from salvation. Remember we said earlier that salvation is like a doorway in to uh, Father's kingdom. It's... it's, it's it's the opening, it's, it's entrance into this whole new life, this whole new way of doing life, 
this ability to, to see things. Someone who's been born again has the capacity to see, understand, and receive things that someone who has not yet been born again has. In other words, if you've been born again, you can see things that people who have not been born again, they simply can't see them. And so when we say discipleship is the bridge that carries you from salvation, where, where all this begins, so to speak, into the fulfillment of your purpose and destiny. It doesn't just carry you to that purpose and destiny. It doesn't just introduce you to that purpose and destiny, but it's going to carry you into the fulfillment of it. In other words, if something is fulfilled, that means it's, it's been accomplished. Amen. And, and my prayer, my desire, my passion uh, for, for you and for those that I have the uh, privilege of, of serving in the body of Christ is to help you not only find your passion and destiny, but to fulfill it um, and, 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 and live the life that God created and intended for you to live, accomplishing on this earth what He uh, created you, specifically designed you as a unique individual to accomplish on this planet earth. I sometimes say it this way, uh, not that this is my only purpose, but I've learned over the years that part of my purpose is helping you find yours. Part of my destiny is helping other people discover their God-given destiny. But with, again, being you know, very uh, straightforward uh, without any wiggle room here, uh, you'll never find, you'll never fulfill, and you'll never accomplish your God-given destiny apart from discipleship. Um, you will remain, and, and the Bible talks about people who were born again and had been born again for many, many, many years, but they remained as spiritual babies. They remained uh, as those who still needed somebody else to teach them the, the basics uh, of God and the basic principles of God's kingdom uh, because, again, they had not made this commitment to discipleship. So we are growing up into Jesus. Uh, I remember when my children were, were, were babies. Now I have a grandson who's, who's a baby. Uh, I say baby's a toddler now. I'll be two in January. Um, and as much as I enjoyed those baby years, um, I also am enjoying them growing up. Uh, John Mark's in the room with me, and I remember thinking, man, I can't wait till he can throw the ball back to me. Uh, because, again, as fun as it is to roll a ball to him and him laugh about it and slobber all over it and chew on it, uh, it's even more fun when he grows up in, in, into a, a greater level of maturity where he can actually throw it back. And, and so what we're talking about now can also be applied to growing up into Jesus in all things. And, and discipleship is Father's growth plan. It's, it's how we grow. And so it becomes this bridge that carries us from uh, our entry into the kingdom of God through salvation all the way through to the fulfillment of our purpose and destiny. If, if you have two land masses separated by a body of water, if you're ever going to get from one to the other, I mean, I guess you could swim, but, but the idea is the bridge is the thing that, that connects. It's, it's what makes going from one place to the other uh, possible. And if without that bridge, uh, then moving from that one spot to the other uh, becomes an impossibility. Now, I want you to turn with me to Matthew, uh, the ninth chapter. Let's begin there tonight. And uh, we're going to look at, as always in discipleship class, uh, we're gonna, I started to say we're going to look at a lot of verses tonight, like somehow that's different from what we would normally do. Uh, but we are going to look at some different verses tonight. I'm excited about that. 
And my prayer is that as you hear these verses, some of them are going to be verses, maybe a lot of them, all of them perhaps for some of you, are verses maybe that you've heard before and heard for many years. But my prayer is that as, as we do this, that the Holy Spirit's going to help you connect some dots. That He's going to help you see what, what one passage uh, has to do with the other and how they're related, how they're connected, and how they're coming together to paint a, a picture or a fuller picture um, for what Father has uh, in store for you and for me. All right, so Matthew chapter 9, let's begin at verse number 35. It says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and he healing every sickness <clears throat> and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Let me stop right here. Um, I know that we've experienced a lot of uh, improvements and, and advancements in in medicine and, and you know, ways to help people and make our lives longer and more comfortable and more convenient. But you don't have to look very long at the world around us to know that uh, there are all kinds of people who need to hear some good news. That's the gospel. There are all kinds of people who need to receive healing uh, for sicknesses and uh, diseases. Uh, and then that last part, uh, there are people who are weary um, I had a long conversation with a good friend today. He's a he's a, a, a in ministry leadership has a very large staff of people that he's responsible for, and and he was just talking about how you know people are weary. All, all that's going on in our world right now uh, is is starting to wear on people. If you notice, weary and wear is just wear with a with a Y on it. So they're they're weary. Things are wearing on them. They're they're scattered, and like sheep having no shepherd. So. For all the technological advances and, and scientific advances that we've made, we see that these conditions that Jesus you know, came to help people with um, are still alive and well on planet Earth. Now, verse 37, Then He said to His disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful. In other words, there's a whole lot of folks that need help. There's a whole lot of folks that, that need somebody uh, to be like a shepherd to them. A whole lot of people... Who, who needs somebody who can bring healing and good news to them. He says, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers <clears throat> are few. Jesus used this term harvest in different places, and we know that He's not talking about, you know, that the tomatoes need to be harvested or the cotton needs to be harvested. He's, he's talking about the precious fruit of, of human beings, people on planet Earth, um, that uh, need to be uh, harvested. They need to be brought out, uh, you know, of uh, of of the of the the sun and the field, if you will, so to speak. And they need to be brought into the shelter of uh, Father's kingdom. Um, if you know uh, anything about you know farming, especially you know a generation or so ago, um, on really large farms, when the, the crops were ready for harvest, uh, they let school out. Uh, it, it, in other words, <clears throat> it's all hands on deck when the harvest <clears throat> is ripe and plentiful. And so um, this is the context. And this, in other words, these words would have perhaps registered uh, more effectively and powerfully on people in Jesus' day. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
than uh, <clears throat> they do for us today. Because when he's talking about the harvest being ready and, and ripe, he's meaning that there's an urgency. Uh, there, there's there's a, a need to, to do something, not, not later, but now. Because if you know anything about harvest, if it's, if it's ripe and it stays on the vine too long, it'll be lost. Now, verse 38, Jesus asked those closest to him, his disciples, to pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. On a side note, um, I want to uh, remind you that this is still a very important and valid prayer for us to be praying today. Uh, in other words, you know, I believe you're men and women of prayer, and when you pray, uh, I want you to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would continually be raising up more and more laborers, people who will come alongside uh, to help in these efforts and these endeavors. Now, we see that Jesus uh, asked them to pray, and I believe that they did. Uh, go with me now to Matthew chapter 10. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 1. And here it says, And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. And then he's going to go, you know, the verses that follow give us the names of those original 12 disciples. And we see that um, they go out and they preach and they minister and experience tremendous results. Now, this, I think, is, is very important, very significant um, <clears throat> for us to, 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 to come to terms with and to recognize. Um, it's easy to say that Jesus was the only one who healed the sick or that Jesus was the only one who cast out uh, demons, but that's not true. Uh, in the same way that it's not true that Jesus was the only one who walked on water or to say that Jesus was the only one who multiplied uh, the bread and, and the fish and, and fed the multitudes. We see in all of these cases that it wasn't just Jesus doing these things, but that he empowered and authorized his disciples to go and do these same things. And of course, they went and they did them, uh, casting out devils, healing uh, sickness and disease uh, among the people. Notice it says all kinds of sickness, all kinds of disease. There was nothing, no terminal illness. You know, we could say everything from a, from a stump toe to you know, stage four pancreatic cancer or anything in between, um, we see that all kinds of sickness, all kinds of disease were, were healed, um, again, not just by Jesus, but by Jesus' disciples. Come on now, somebody say amen to that really loud wherever you are. Now, I want to take you to Luke chapter 10. So we're going to go from Matthew chapter 10 over to Luke chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, now we're going to go to Luke chapter 10. And Luke chapter 10 is significant because what we see here is that it wasn't just the disciples that were sent out to do these things. In Luke chapter 10, in verse number 1, it says this, After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before His face into every city, and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, Harvest truly is great, labors are few. That sounds like something we've heard before. Uh, pray the Lord of the harvest 
uh, send out labors into his harvest. And anyway, Jesus goes on uh, to commission them and give them specific instructions. It's important. I'm not going to take the time to do all that. But the point that I'm trying to make tonight is that these 70 men and women um, also were sent out by Jesus to do the work of the ministry. We see that they also preached the gospel of the kingdom. They also ministered to the sick and healed all kinds of sickness and disease among the people. And they also cast out demons. Now, I know that there is a lot of disagreement in the body of Christ today concerning things like the baptism in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, uh, miracles, healing, gifts of the Spirit. A lot of people say that uh, these things uh, passed away uh, with, the, uh, with the apostles. Uh, there's a popular uh, doctrine, there's a popular teaching. As, as incorrect, as wrong, and as unscriptural as it is, there's still a lot of people today who buy into this idea that while all of those things were a part of uh, the church in its beginning, that somehow it was only important uh, to get the church off the ground and that all of these things passed away when the original 12 disciples passed away. In other words, when they were gone, the age of miracles, the age of healing, and all these things uh, ended. Well, got a lot of problems with that. Uh, and, and the first one is that it wasn't just the 12 apostles that did these things. We see that Jesus did them, then the 12 apostles did them, and, and now we see 70 others. We have the names of the 12 apostles. We don't have the, we don't have the names of, of these 70 disciples who went out two by two uh, before. When it says before his face, it was very strategic. Um, you know, one of the problems we have in the body of Christ today is that our enemy has a plan, and, and, and unfortunately the, the church you know, doesn't have one. Uh, Jesus had a plan. And so he sends these people into these cities, uh, in these little villages and, and, and towns and what have you, places that he was eventually going to, he would send them in there first and, and, and you know, get, get the people stirred up and get their hearts uh, you know, energized and get faith uh, you know, fired up in them uh, so that when he got there, even greater results, praise God, could be realized. Now, I'm not going to read all of this, but skip down from chapter 10 verse 1 to verse 17 because I want you to see something here. Luke chapter 10 verse 17 it says this, Then the seventy returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, he says, verse 20, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Now, let's stop here for a moment. Because again, something very significant here that maybe the casual reader uh, would, would skip over. When the 70 come back from their uh, mission trip, and man, they are like a team that just won the national championship. They are high-fiving one another. 
they're celebrating. I mean, just just picture the 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 the, the smiles plastered on their faces um, as as they're celebrating these things and as they're rejoicing, uh, you know, about what they just experienced and accomplished. Um, and and Jesus, you know, he he recognizes that. But his response is, uh, hold on just a second, I saw Satan when he fell from heaven. And you have not only authority to cast him out, you have authority to trample on top of him. Uh, In other words, put him under your feet. Don't just cast him out of another person, as important as that is. But Jesus is saying that you have authority to, to rise above Him and, and rule over Him rather than Him ruling over you. And then He says that they should not rejoice that the spirits are subject to them, but rather rejoice because their names are written in heaven. That verse threw me for years. and I'm like, you know, I mean, Jesus, you know, are you just trying to be a killjoy here? I mean, these folks are excited and, and they're, you know, I, in other words, I don't... Obviously, Jesus knew what he was telling them, but he told them not to celebrate this. And I thought that's kind of odd, you know, why, the, why he would tell them not to celebrate these things. And, and the Holy Spirit revealed it to me later. Uh, it took me a while, but finally, amen, sometimes, you know, it, it takes a little while for, 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 for me to hear from him. But anyway, in this case, uh, it, was, it was a while later, but finally, um, it, 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 it came to me by the Holy Spirit that the reason Jesus was telling them not to celebrate demons being subject to them is because demons were always supposed to be subject to them. And, and this was the illustration that I believe the Holy Spirit inspired in me. And it goes back to the famous football coach Bear Bryant. Um, if, if you were on one of Bear Bryant's teams and you scored a touchdown, uh, if you cut a fool in the end zone... If, if you danced and strutted and acted all that way, um, you just might as well go on and sit on the bench because he's not putting you back in the game. Um, and it wasn't just sportsmanship. Um, his theory was you shouldn't celebrate scoring a touchdown. He said if you score a touchdown, listen very carefully now. He said if you score a touchdown, you should act like you've been there before and you'll be back soon. In other words, instead of strutting and cutting up and all this other stuff, like it's some rare thing that you score, he said the confidence should be that, that we're going to score every time, and therefore it's, it's not something that we should rejoice in this. Okay? So this is what Jesus was saying to them when he said, you know, don't be celebrating demons subject to you. Um, demons have always been subject to you. You just haven't understood that. You've always had authority over them. You just haven't realized that until now. Now, verse 21, in that hour, so what hour are we talking about? The hour that the 70 came back, having cast out demons, healed the sick, uh, all manner of sickness and disease among the people. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father... For so it seemed good in your sight. Now, if we look a little deeper into this uh, statement from Jesus in verse 21, there's a single word that 
provides the context. And it's the word rejoiced. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit. He didn't rejoice in Spirit, meaning rejoicing in Spirit would, be, would mean something just internal only. But it says He rejoiced in the Spirit. Uh, this is meaning that the Holy Spirit that, remember, rested upon Him uh, in the form of a, of a dove, uh, He got happy in the Holy Ghost. If you're Pentecostal, uh, you might uh, recognize uh, that kind of uh, expression. So this word rejoiced, if you go into the original language, this is what it literally means. It means to dance about joyfully, to jump in the air and spin around. Okay? So Jesus wasn't like, you know, sitting over there real solemn going, man, this is a good day, Father. I'm so excited about these things. No. He was jumping and rejoicing and dancing and spinning around. Why? Why is Jesus so excited? Because for the first time since the days of Adam, human beings on planet Earth are stepping up into the place that they were always meant to occupy for the first time since the days of Adam, with rare exception, with rare exception in the Old Testament, we see mass numbers. First Jesus, then 12, then 70. We've got 83 human beings on planet Earth casting out devils, healing the sick, multiplying food, performing miracles, amen, to meet the needs of other hurting people, desperate people on planet Earth. Well, that was a good day for Jesus. And anything that excites Him that way should get our attention. Anything that, uh, that moves Him uh, that way uh, should, be come, should become a priority in my life and in yours. Now, I'm going to spend some time, and it, it may wind up being most of the time, if not all the time, that we have remaining tonight. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some time to sow the Word of God. Remember, to sow means to plant. I'm going to take some time to plant the Word of God into your heart concerning things that are your purpose, concerning things that are, that are your God-given destiny. In other words, things that, that salvation has put within reach for you and discipleship will enable you to bridge from that salvation experience into doing these things um, yourself. Amen. Uh, listen, I am, uh, I am appreciative for anybody who does anything for Jesus, for the church, for the kingdom of God, uh, you know, with the right attitude, of course, uh, you know, cleaning toilets, sweeping floors, all of these things are service unto God. All of these things uh, are certainly uh, uh, ministry. But one of the things that the enemy has stolen from so many in the body of Christ that it's time for us to take back is the reality that ministry is more than just physical acts of service uh, that, you know, that able-bodied people can do. But ministry includes that, but it also includes what we've seen in the life of Jesus, what we've seen in the 12 disciples, 12 apostles, and what we've seen now biblically in the other 
70. Okay? So, we will talk in the days ahead about, and not only we talk about, we will give answers for uh, three very important questions. And I'm way ahead of myself, but I'm feeling kind of compelled just to bring this up now by way of introducing this, okay? But we see three very important questions um, with the third one. I'm going to start with the last one first. In other words, they should go in this order. Um, and it's the question, why am I? Or, in other words, what is my purpose? Why am I here? Why do I exist? Why uh, am I alive on planet Earth? Why am I? Again, why am I? This question coincides with your purpose. We see that there is a question that must be answered before that question can ever be fully understood. And that's the question, who am I? And I like to say it this way, and when we get to this section of the teaching, we'll, we'll dig into this uh, in, in, in greater depth. But I like to say it this way, you'll never know why you are until you know who you are. You'll never know your purpose until you understand your identity. And the reason for that is very simple. It's because your purpose is so much greater than what you may currently believe you're capable of, of doing, what you have the ability to accomplish. So until you know who you are, you'll never know why you are. But then there's a question that even comes before that one. And that's the question, what am I? You've got to know what you are to understand who you are, and you've got to know who you are to know why you are. Three very basic, very fundamental questions, and I like to say it this way, you know, reckon that would be useful information. In other words, if we're interested in living our best life, uh, let's start with what we are. What, are, what am I? Uh, the world's got all kinds of answers to that question for us, but they're, they're wrong. Um, we're not just an advanced form of animal um, as, as many people would try uh, to tell us in, in the world. So again, what am I? Who am I? Why am I? Now, we're going to talk tonight uh, on things pertaining to your purpose. And I know that this is a little bit out of order, but consider it an overview. And remember what I told you in the first class. Many folks refer to this class and call it discipleship class, but the official title for this class is Discipleship Counselor Training Class. I have no problem with you benefiting. Matter of fact, I want you to benefit personally from these classes. I want you to learn things and grow in truth and have your mind renewed and it benefit you in, in your individual life and your personal walk with the Lord. But... These classes are not just designed to help you on a personal level. They're ultimately designed to equip you, to, to help you be a more effective minister to other people. To, and, that, and, and really and truly, discipleship is about a lot of things. But remember, discipleship is the bridge that brings you from that point of salvation into the fulfillment of your purpose and God-given destiny. So we can't talk about discipleship without talking about uh, these areas of, of serving God 
and, and, and ministering. Remember, we also said that discipleship is not about becoming something you're not. It's about discovering who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Discipleship is learning how to see yourself the way your Heavenly Father sees you right now. It's, it's beginning to understand your potential. Your potential is what you're capable of doing but have never done. Your potential is what you're capable of realizing but have never realized. Amen. And all of that potential exists and resides within you. This is, it goes back to, to, to the other point. Uh, the inward reality of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life. And so we see Jesus demonstrating this for us in His earthly ministry in, in what He did. But then we also see Him sending out 12 more and then 70 more. And at the end of His uh, earthly ministry, after He's been crucified, raised from the dead, He's uh, about to ascend to the throne of the universe. And He says something to this effect, right? Preach the gospel and everyone who believes, right? These signs will follow. In other words, he, He's saying that these things are not just for the, the, the founding fathers, if you will, uh, of, of the church, but that they're for every born-again believer. In Acts, it says it's for you, it's for your children, it's for your children's children, and these things are for as many as the Lord our God shall call. All right? Now, I don't know if you've ever been to one of those, uh, you know, uh, meetings where, you know, they promise you a, a free meal if you endure their sales pitch or something like that. And, you know, it's like at the end, it's like, oh, so that's what this is about. No, no, please hear me. Please hear me. I'm, I'm not trying to do some kind of bait and switch on you. You know, it's like now all of a sudden we're going to go from talking about discipleship to, to, to your assignment, to, to, to ministry and things of this nature. It, again, remember what Paul said. He, he talked about his course, his walk with the Lord, and the ministry. And every human being uh, on planet Earth has a, has a specific purpose and destiny uh, assigned to them by, their, by, by your Creator Father. And, and so, as we're born again, discipleship is, is about understanding what these things are. Let, let me, before I go back to my notes, let me just say uh, one last thing uh, in, in way of introduction, introducing this section, okay? And that is this, alright? There is no greater joy in life, this side of heaven, than doing what you're supposed to be doing with the people you're supposed to be doing it with on planet Earth. In other words, understanding your purpose, understanding your destiny, giving yourself entirely to that, living out that purpose, living out that destiny, that, my brother my sister, is one of the simplest ways to define this thing you hear me say all the time, talk about all the time, your best life. Your best life involves serving and doing uh, what Father God puts you on this earth uh, to do. So when it says Jesus, uh, when the 70 came back, and Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and danced, cut a jig, however you want to say it, I'm not being disrespectful, amen, he cut a jig, he literally jumped in the air, I, I don't know if he did a 360, I don't know what he did, but he left his feet and spun around in the air expressing his excitement that somebody finally on planet earth is getting it and doing it. And I want him to have that same kind of excitement and joy when he looks at what you are doing and what I am doing for him and for his name 
here on planet Earth. All right, now let's dig into this. Simple point, if you take notes, I would encourage you to write it down, all right? Every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. Every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. It's not something that we have to do. It's something that we get to do. Amen? Come on. It's not something that we have to do. If, if, uh, if it's boring to you, if it's drudgery to you, then you're not doing it right. If, if the idea of, of serving God sounds like the, the, the worst thing or the last thing, uh, you know, the worst thing to do, the last thing you want to be a part of, then all that tells me is that you don't know enough about it yet. All right? But again, every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians the fourth chapter. Ephesians chapter 4, praise God. All right, Ephesians chapter 4. I don't know if you felt it, but we've kind of turned a corner now. We are uh, moving into some other things, I think, that are going to be uh, a blessing to you. Praise God. All right, so Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So Ephesians chapter 4, amen. And let's begin... Let's do this. Let's begin at um, let's begin at verse number eleven. I only have verse number twelve to put on the screen behind me, but uh, verse number eleven says this: "And he himself." So this is speaking of Jesus. I know we got pronouns here, but this is speaking of Jesus. That's the context of this. We should, we could say Jesus himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. So he's talking about. He's talking about specific uh, ministry, service, roles in the body of Christ. And this is often referred to as the five-fold ministry. If you've ever heard someone introduce themselves as a five-fold minister of the gospel, um, they're identifying themselves as either being an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, or, or a pastor, or a teacher, okay? And so, um, you could think of these as established ministry offices, kind of like the office of governor in the state of Alabama. Uh, governor Ivey is now in that office, um, but, you know, when her term expires, uh, another will take her place and will be in that office. And so, there are many different men and women who occupy these offices. They're called by God, ordained by God, to occupy these offices. Um, but these are offices that, that God established. And it's important, too, to, to consider how Jesus worded this. It says, He Himself gave. Okay, So the idea is that um, Father God uh, puts a, a person... Uh, in these uh, different ministry offices, and then they're given as gifts to the body of Christ. They're given as gifts to the body of Christ. So I am a pastor and teacher, and when I talk about these things, I, I fight this thing in my head, uh, you know, that I, it's sounding self-serving, and, you know, in the sense that I'm like promoting myself. That's, that's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to try to help you understand how Father God 
has set these things up and, and where, uh, you know, how he defined these different roles and where these lines are drawn. Why is this important? Well, it's important because far too many people in the body of Christ think that if you are not uh, in one of those five areas uh, or offices of ministry, that somehow you're not in the ministry and nothing could be further from the truth. So verse number 12, let me, I'm going to read verse 11 again and then I'm going to put 12 on the screen. And he himself, Jesus himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. If you'll notice, um, verse 11 ends with a comma, and verse 12 begins with a lowercase f. In other words, the word for is lowercase because the verse changed, but the thought or sentence did not. So he's saying that we have these five-fold offices of ministry, and the men and women who are in those offices have been given by the Lord Jesus, the head of the church, they have been given as gifts to the church to serve the individual member of the body of Christ, the, the, the individual member within the church. Okay, And I'm not, when I say church, I'm not talking about building, I'm not talking about denomination, I'm talking about the men and women who have been born again. If you have been born again, you are a member of the church, which is the body of Christ, Ephesians tells us. You are a member of the body of Christ. You are, a, you are an individual member of, the, the, the technical word for it, the, 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 the original language is the word ecclesia. It means those who have been called out, the called out ones. Okay, So he's saying that those men and women who occupy uh, a position uh, in one of those ministry offices, that, that Father has put things in them for you, and then He has given them, uh, those men and women, to you as gifts. Praise God. All right, now that's extremely important. But, but then He goes into an ex explanation of what those men and women in those ministry offices are, are supposed to do. In other words, what is the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, what is their assignment? What, what have they been given to you uh, to accomplish? Well, he begins with verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, it's really important to pay attention to the punctuation here. Notice there is no comma after the word saints. In other words, he's not making three points in this verse. He's making two. The first one is equipping, and the second one is edifying. Let's start with this, the, the second one first. Edify simply means to build up. Uh, to, to build up. And so men and women who, who are positioned in one of those ministry offices, they have been called and equipped by God to build up the body of Christ. In other words, what I'm striving to do, what I prayed uh, over before this class began, is, is that Father would use me and the gifts that He's given me to feed you tonight, 
to feed you the Word of God. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. One of the responsibilities of a shepherd, which is another word for pastor, is that the shepherd is supposed to feed God's people. He's supposed to feed the sheep. He's supposed to feed the lambs. Amen. And so that's one of the things that I'm here to do. And that's one of the ways that uh, pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, apostles uh, edify, build up the body of Christ. But notice that the first assignment, and I believe that these are in order, the first assignment of, I'm just going to say pastor, it's all, but the first assignment of the pastor or the, or the prophet is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. See, this concept that only the pastor is to do the work of the ministry, who knew that a comma could make that big of a difference, right? But whether, you know, there's no comma there, but many of God's people have, have forced a comma there in the sense that they believe the work of the ministry is the pastor's job. The work of the ministry is, is the prophet's job. The work of the ministry is the teacher's job. No, no, no. The, the, the teacher's job, the pastor's job, is to equip the individual born-again person to do the work of the ministry. I'm not trying to get out of something here. It's not like I'm saying, well, this isn't my job, so you know, somebody else can take care of that. that that's, that's, please don't hear that because that's not what's being said here. Think about it for a moment. Think about it for a moment. Because the devil has been successful in telling this lie to so many people, a huge portion of the workforce in the body of Christ, people, in other words, who could be otherwise doing the work of the ministry, they, don't even, they haven't even been told that it's their job. They, they haven't even, you know, people say, well, I'm not called to do that. I, I'm not called to do that. Listen, every born-again believer has been called by God to do the work of the ministry. And those that we, we often only think of as ministers, their job, according to God, according to the Word of God, is to equip people, born-again people, to do the work of the ministry, to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Well, praise God. There's, there's a lot here um, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, that means mature, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into Him who is the head Christ. So, my assignment tonight is to come before you and to speak the truth to you, but to speak the truth to you in love. That's very, very important. If you've, if you've ever had some... Man, I'm using very, very important tonight a lot, aren't I? But it's just it's the sense of urgency that I feel when I teach on this particular, this particular class, this particular subject. I'm, I'm so desperately wanting you to connect with this and this truth and this message to connect with you. That's, so forgive me for saying everything's very, very important, but, but it is, right? Uh, if you've ever had somebody speak the truth to you but they didn't do it in love, um, that, that, that's really not going to be very effective. But when you take the truth of God's Word and you speak it to somebody in love, in other words, what would in love mean? You're speaking to them because you sincerely want what's best for them. You're not just trying to judge them or use the, the Bible to, you know, the sword of the Spirit to cut them to pieces and, 
and, and, and somehow you know, assume moral high ground over them. Absolutely not. But to speak the truth in love means I'm wanting you to understand this and, and my heart for even doing this this afternoon and for the past 15 plus years is, is because I know the difference that His truth has made in my life and, and I know how much it's helped and benefited me and now generations of my family. And so I, I, I speak the truth to you tonight in love because my only motivation is for you to benefit from the truth in God's Word and for Him to be glorified through it. So speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head Christ. So notice now and that the imagery here would be like that of, um, think of a toddler who you know, walks over to his father's work boots and slips both feet in them and starts you know, clumping around in the house. He's put the boots on, but he's not filling them out. But there will come a day when that son will grow up into his father's shoes. So this is the imagery that he's giving us. If you've been born again, my friend, you are in Christ. Galatians 3 says you have put Him on. You are inside of Him. But now, inside of Him, we're learning to grow up into Him. To where we literally become a body that is fit for and comparable to our head. The head of the body is none other than Jesus Himself. Oh man, I get stirred up about this. So, Let's keep reading. Verse 16, From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. This does what? It causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Without spending 40 minutes here, let me just, if I could, break down that last verse, and I apologize for not having it available to put on the screen, but he's saying that the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. So if you are not aware of this, let me quickly make you aware of it. The Bible identifies each born-again person, each individual person who's received salvation as an individual member of the body of Christ. So the, the way to understand this is if you're looking at me on you know, the, the, the camera right now, uh, my body has hands and my hands have fingers and each, each finger has you know, a joint with, within that finger. And so there are many different parts or members of my physical body. And the Bible says, so is Christ with Jesus being the head of the body, and each person that's been born again, uh, literally uh, bone of His bone and flesh of His flesh, literally uh, a member of His body. And so you as a member of the body of Christ, the Bible says that you have a supply to offer and you have a share to fulfill when each person does their share. I think we learned this in kindergarten, okay? That uh, we all have, uh, you know, to, to do our share. If it's time to clean up our, 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 you know, table after lunch, 
then everybody needs to do their part. Everybody needs to do their share. So he's saying that you as an individual member of the body of Christ, you have a supply to offer. That's your resources. That includes your finances, but finances is only one part of your supply. It's what you bring to the table. It's what you have to offer. Maybe you're skilled in organizational uh, things. Maybe you're good at technology and computers. Maybe you're gifted in the area of, of music and playing instruments. Maybe you're gifted in the area of teaching and leading others. Maybe you're gifted in the area of, of, of cleaning or construction or all, all these different parts. In other words, he's saying that you as an individual, you have a supply to offer. What, what you have, what you bring to the table, and he says, you, you have a, a part in this. You have a share in this. You, you, you're not on the outside looking in, but Father God has included you in, in this plan and, 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 in, his, and in His purpose. Uh, and, and He wants you uh, and has equipped you to be a part of that. Now, one last thing. And this is why... Uh, it's one last thing on this passage. We've got a lot more to cover tonight. Praise God, what time is it? Yeah, we've got a few more minutes. But one last thing on this, okay? Notice it says that... Um, let me pull it up again. Uh, okay, I'm sorry, I was looking at the wrong spot. Verse 16, From whom the whole body joined and knit together whatever joint supplies. So, what we see is that the Holy Spirit is responsible for setting you. I'm going to use that word on purpose. Setting you in the body of Christ. It's a specific location. Right? If, if my thumb was attached to my kneecap, it would be out of place and it would not be uh, fulfilled. <laughs> it 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 would be pretty miserable down there because it would be impossible uh, to do what it was called and gifted and created to do if it's not effectively located in the right place within the body of Christ. So the Holy Spirit is the one who sets each individual person in the body of Christ. That's why I tell people all the time, one of the most important decisions you will ever make in your lifetime is who you choose to be your pastor, and the family of faith you choose to be joined to. And when I say you choose, it's, it's really and truly, I guess it is your choice, but that's, that choice right there is one that we need to be led by the Holy Spirit concerning perhaps more than any other choice that we make in our lives. So again, you are located by the Holy Spirit, positioned within a body of believers by the Holy Spirit, but it's one thing, and I'll use my shoulder now as an example, it's one thing for my shoulder to be in place, set, you know, somebody's shoulder comes out of joint, they say, well, we've got to set it, got to put it back in place. But it's another thing for the connective tissue to hold my shoulder in place. So you've got the joint, the shoulder joint, but then you've got the ligaments and the tendons and ultimately the muscles that, that all come together that are woven and knit together. Notice what he says here. This is extremely important. He says that it's when you offer your supply. This is what connects you with the rest of the body of Christ. There are so many things that I hear from people and have heard from people over the years. You know, things like, you know, I just don't feel like I belong. I just don't feel like I'm connected. I just don't feel like I'm a part. 
And, 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 and again, that, there could be other reasons for this. One of the reasons could be that you're not with the people that you're supposed to be with. Right? But more times than not, people who have that feeling uh, in, in a church, you know, in a church setting with other born-again believers, it's, it's not because that's not where they're supposed to be. It's because they're not doing what gives them that connectiveness. And what, and what connects you to the body of Christ is when you offer your supply and when you do your share. If you refuse to offer what you bring to the table to the rest of the body of Christ, if you refuse to do your part in the work of the ministry, then you're never going to feel connected and like you belong uh, to that body of believers. And so religion offers us all kinds of substitutes. Religion offers us all kinds of hoops to jump through, uh, all kinds of levels and tiers to progress through. Uh, want you to you know, move your letter of membership and sign on the dotted line and so forth and so on. Trying to create that, that connectivity. Trying to create that, that, that union, that joining together. And I'm not saying those things are bad or, or wrong, but... None of that will ever be a substitute for you bringing your supply and offering it to the rest of us and you doing your share of the work of the ministry alongside other members of the body of Christ. Wow. Amen. All right, let's do this. Let's go to Luke chapter 4. I know we're going back and forth uh, looking at several verses tonight. Let's go to Luke, the fourth chapter. Thank you, Jesus. Man, all right. I don't, I don't normally go that in depth in Ephesians at this point. I usually save that for a future class, but I just felt really led by the Spirit to do that tonight. You have a part in this. When I say, and I make the statement to you, that every born again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry, this isn't just some recruiting effort. This is not, you know, some uh, you know, guy in a patriotic suit saying, Uncle Sam, you know, wants you or needs you. Uh, th- this, is, this goes back to your very reason for existing. This, this goes back to uh, you know, the, the, the origin and your creation and how you're hardwired and how you created to function and, and the true place uh, for you to thrive. Uh, in those areas of giftings. It, it's, listen, Father doesn't mind you taking your gift and, and using it to bring income into your life and family. But that's, that's, that's not the main reason why He gifted you in these areas. How many times, how many times have we heard uh, singers um, that you know, popular uh, pop artists, rock, rock and roll artists, country artists, how many times have we heard them say that they got their start in singing in the church? Again, I'm not, I'm not knocking secular music. That's not the point I'm trying to make tonight. The point I'm trying to, to make is that when we talk about being called to do the work of the ministry, this is, you know, predates even your life here on planet earth these are things that father god determined and decided and created you in light of before adam and eve were ever living 
here upon this earth, much less me and you. Amen. Now, Luke chapter 4 and verse number 16. It says this, So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim, the, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then He closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Now, we're in uh, political season here in the United States. And we see that the different political parties publish, although both sides have been a little sparse, I guess we could say, uh, this year on these things. But the common uh, approach to elections involve the, 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 the candidate and the political party they're associated with to publish what they call their platform. The platform is not a wooden structure they stand on, but it's the things that they say they're going to do if you vote for them and put them in office. And so each item that they're saying that they're going to accomplish if elected becomes an individual plank, and then all the planks together become the platform that they stand upon. I explain that to you tonight because I believe this is the ministry platform of Jesus. This is where He, standing on the earth, announces what it is that He is all about, what it is that He has come to do, what it is that He intends to accomplish. Now, we need to understand this because His platform has now become our platform. What Jesus came to do is what He has now commissioned us to go and do. It's not like Jesus came and was interested in seeing people in bondage to sin and all kinds of things of the flesh. It's not like Jesus came to want to see them set free. But, but now He has a different agenda. No, His agenda is still to see the brokenhearted healed. His agenda is still to have the gospel preached to the poor. His agenda is still to see the sight recovered uh, you know, to the blind and so forth. So it's important for us to understand Jesus' ministry platform because this is where we get understanding of what our uh, work in the ministry is going to and should look like. Now, let's go to 1 John chapter 3. I feel some of you kind of slipping away a little bit. Let's, let's endure tonight. Let's, let's push on through a few more minutes, all right? Let's go to 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 8. 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 8. It says this, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. 
For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. So we see that the purpose for which Jesus came, this word manifested, it, it just means to be revealed. Uh, if something is manifested, the idea behind that word is it's something that's been, been covered up, but it's not covered up any longer. Uh, you know, let's say somebody has a work of art and they want to unveil it and they put a, a, a blanket or a sheet or something over it and then they pull the sheet and now all of a sudden what was hidden has come to light. It's been revealed. We would say it's been manifested. Right? So, for this purpose, here is the purpose for which Jesus, the Son of God, was manifested. That, that He left heaven and came to this earth. He left heaven and He came to this earth so that He might destroy the works of the devil. Now, if that was Jesus' purpose, guess what? It's our purpose as well. If the Bible identifies or defines Jesus' ministry in the broad strokes of destroying the works of the devil, if, if Jesus' purpose was to destroy the works of the devil, then His purpose to this day still involves destroying the works of the devil. So we see again that these are clues, strong clues, uh, you know, concerning what it is that we, again, get to do, not have to do, but things that we get to do. All right, destroy. Let's talk about this word because it's, it's a revealing word. Destroy means to undo, dissolve, to make like it never happened. Undo, dissolve, to make like it never happened. This word is rooted in uh, ancient warfare and there were situations where one uh, army would go in and conquer another territory and they would literally remove all evidence of that uh, civilization, that culture, that leader, that king, whatever, literally remove all evidence of their existence. So that they're literally, if you've ever heard the expression, wiped from the face of the earth, that comes from, 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 from those times and from that approach to warfare. And this is what that word destroy is communicating. To make it like it never happened. To destroy the works of the devil. There's one other thing here that I think bears uh, mentioning now. And that involves destroying the works of the devil, defining and, and identifying for us what Jesus did. Think for a moment. Let's, let's connect this, these dots together. When Jesus healed someone who was crippled, He was destroying the devil's work not His Father's work. When Jesus 
stood in the bow of a boat two times that we know of, He quieted a storm. He rebuked a violent uh, weather pattern that threatened His life and the life of His disciples. When Jesus told the wind to lay down and the seas to be still, He rebuked them, the Bible says. He rebuked them. See, there are a lot of folks who don't understand that Jesus was destroying not His Father's doings, but the devil's work, the devil's doings. And the reason I say there are a lot of people who don't understand these things is that you hear people get in pulpits on the television, on the internet, and they go to these stories about these storms and, and, and the threat of these storms, and then they go off into this tear about the storms of life and how God uses the storms of life and, and He brings the storms, allows the storms, all these different words that they throw around so loosely, so cavalierly, so casually, you know, like they all mean the same thing. And, and again, notice what's broken there. If, if Father God uh, was behind that storm in any way, then Jesus would have been guilty of rebuking His Father. He would have been guilty of undoing something that His Father was doing. But we know that His Father was not behind that storm. It was the devil trying to destroy Jesus. It was the devil. Now all of a sudden He had all the disciples together with Jesus in a boat, in a vulnerable place. The Bible identifies the devil as the prince of the power of the air. He manipulates weather patterns to his ability to try to cause harm and destruction on planet earth. Tornadoes, my friend, are not the finger of God. If, if destructive weather patterns were the finger of God, then Jesus would have rebuked and cast out His Father. It's the work of the devil. It's the work of the devil. And the devil loves to blur these lines in our lives. The devil loves to, to, to affect things in our lives and get, and, and get us to think that somehow God is doing it, that God is behind it. I've even heard people say things like, God is the one that made them sick. God is the one who gave them cancer. That God is... He's teaching them some kind of lesson through these things. And, and again, I don't mean to sound callous or disrespectful, but if, if God really did give you that sickness to teach you something, why are you taking medicine to, to, to get better? If He's the one doing it to you, then why are you fighting Him? You know, why, why, why are you going to see the doctor? Again, it just simply doesn't hold water. This is a line that the enemy loves to blur in so many people's lives. And it's time for you and me to nail it down once and for all. The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. And the Bible says He went about doing good and He did what? He destroyed the works of the devil. My friend, as born-again believers who are called to do the work of the ministry, we also are called to destroy the works of the devil. Alright, turn with me to John 14, 12. It's one verse we're going to look at, but I want you to turn there because I would like for you to mark it. Um, more than one person uh, that I know of has said that this verse doesn't exist in the Bible. But... If you open your Bibles, you'll see that it absolutely does, all right? John 14 and 12. 
It says this, Jesus speaking, Most assuredly I say to you, He who believes in Me, the works that I do, He will do also, and greater works than these He will do, because I go to My Father. So we know that Jesus' works involved destroying the works of the devil. And He says that He who believes in Me, not the first 12 apostles, not the first 70 missionaries only, but He swings this gate open very wide because it is a very wide uh, spread offer in other words he didn't say if you've been to four years of bible college he didn't say if you're the pastor uh of a of a pentecostal church he none of that he just simply said most assuredly i say to you he who believes in me the works that i do he will do also and greater works than these he will do because i go to my father Pay attention to these two words right here for a moment. Most assuredly. Most assuredly. Anytime Jesus uses the words most assuredly, often translated in the King James Version as verily, verily, anytime Jesus uses the words or the expression most assuredly, you can bank on one thing. He is about to say something that is going to sound so outlandish that it can't be true, but is true. So when he says most assuredly, he's saying, all right, guys, brace yourself because I'm about to tell you something that's true that's not going to sound true to you. Most assuredly. What is he saying? He's saying, I anticipate pushback here. I anticipate theologians for years trying to tell you that I don't mean what I'm saying right now. Most assuredly, I'm saying to you, Absolutely 100% this is true, even if it seems to be so far-fetched and so far beyond anything that you believe you're capable of doing. I'm telling you anyway, most assuredly, beyond any shadow of a doubt, take it to the bank. If you believe in Me, the works that I do, you'll do also, and even greater works than these will you do because I go to My Father. Wow. Now, Usually around this point right here in the class, I kind of take a step back. Because these things can seem so far beyond where we may be right now in our walk with the Lord that they're out of reach and maybe even overwhelming. I don't want you to think of it that way. If you've ever seen um, radar operating on um, a ship at sea. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if they're still this way. I would imagine they're probably much more sophisticated and modern. But, you know, you see these in like movies that are on documentaries and things of that nature. That there's uh, a line that spins around in a circle and as it sends, as it, as it spins around, um, the radar is sending, is sending out waves and anything that, any object that it hits, it bounces back a signal 
and as it as it goes around the 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 captain of the ship uh, has an idea of what is around them okay now there are times when all of a sudden you know there's a blip on the radar that wasn't there before and that's because a ship that was beyond the horizon and radar wasn't picking up now has come on to the radar okay why am I talking about ships and radar say Pastor Mark I'm I, I, I hear what you're saying I'm reading it in my own Bible I, I know that this is true but but I'm, I'm still just you know, this is, I'm just trying to balance my checkbook and, and, and do my best to keep from sinning. I, I don't know, this seems to be way over my head. Well, listen to me, please. Let's get it on our radar. In, in, in other words, let's, let's bring this closer to us tonight than it was before we started this class. And I'm going to call that a win. But the problem that we have in the body of Christ is that we have set back and allowed the enemy to steal so much of our privilege, to steal so much of what Jesus paid such a high price to give to us. And this is one of those things. We may have, you know, a concept of what, you know, the average Christian life looks like, but I'm telling you, Jesus has a different concept. Jesus has a different understanding. And it's time for you and me to start bringing our understanding of what the Christian life is supposed to be and what it's supposed to look like and what we're supposed to be able to accomplish into alignment with His standard instead of the, the current declining religious standard of our day. My friend, the early church experienced these things. When I say the early church, it's not like there's two churches. I'm just talking about, you know, in the, in the early days of the church that we're now a part of. Um, they experienced these things. They enjoyed these things. And because they ministered uh, at this level, they were very effective in, in building the body of Christ, in, in bringing people into the kingdom. And so this is something that I believe, and I'm passionate about it, and, and I'm, I'm like a dog with a bone. Amen? Uh, I, the Bible says that we should desire the best gifts. We should earnestly desire these things. And I think if you've ever seen, a, let's say, a child that's, that's suffering, and, and you would love to be able to do something to help that child. This is, what it, this is what the Bible's talking about when it says that Jesus saw sick and hurting people. They're wandering around scattered and vulnerable like sheep with no shepherd. And He's like, would somebody pray for some help? Would somebody pray uh, for, for people to be willing to roll up their sleeves and get busy and, and, and do something to help these people? I don't... Listen to me, I'm... I read a book one time and, and the guy was talking about you know, how eager and willing so many Christians are to do something in the world. And, and yet he says sometimes it's misguided. In there he talked about, I think it was a library in a Latin American country that missions teams had come, uh, I think in the course of a year they had, they had painted that library like nine times. And 
you know, the people wanted to come and they want to do something and they're like, well, I don't know what, let's, I guess just let them paint the library again. I have no problem with believers painting a library for somebody in this country or another country. But my brother, my sister, any service organization on planet earth can go paint a library. We are the body of Christ. We are the anointed sons and daughters of God. We have been equipped. We have been authorized. We have been empowered. We have been deputized. We have been chosen. We have been commissioned. And we have been sent forth to do the works of Jesus and to destroy the works of the devil. Paint the library. I don't care. Paint it. Paint it nine times. You go paint it five times. Back to back to back. I don't care. But get somebody born again. Get somebody healed. Cast the devil out of somebody. Preach the gospel of the kingdom. Don't let the enemy steal from the church what our true calling, what our true mission, what our true assignment really is. It's more than service work. It's the work of the kingdom. It's the ministry platform of Jesus. In case you're still skeptical, let me give you a few more verses. John chapter 17 and verse 18. Jesus speaking to His Father, praying for you and me. He says, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Father sent Jesus into the world to destroy the works of the devil. As Jesus was sent into the world, we now have been sent into the world. How about this one? John chapter 20, verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. All right, let's turn to Mark. I know I rushed through those. Let's all together turn to Mark, the 16th chapter. Mark chapter 16. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. If a bunch of you were present in the room, this is when... I'd be looking at you and asking you if you get anything out of this. Are you feeling me? Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Some of these things that I have been known to say. So by faith, I believe you're picking up what I'm putting down. By faith, I believe that you're feeling what I'm feeling. The urgency. My friend, our, our world is sick. It's broken. And it's time for the sons and daughters of God to take their rightful place and to do the works of Jesus and to destroy the works of the devil. All right, Mark chapter 16, and let's begin in verse 15. This is sometimes referred to as the Great Commission. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick. And they will, the sick will recover. Okay? So the Great Commission. This, this is Jesus sending out his disciples, His apostles, all those who 
were still with Him and continuing with Him after His death, burial, resurrection. And we see that He is about to ascend to the right hand of God. As a matter of fact, if we were to keep reading, so then after the Lord had spoken to them, He was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the Word through the accompanying signs. Through the accompanying signs. Signs here means miracles. Through the accompanying signs. Amen. So he tells that original, let's just call them first century, we could say first decade, first year, members of the body of Christ, members of the church. He commissions them to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, not, not just a select few. They, they didn't pick up on this until sometime later, but initially they only preached the gospel to Jewish men and women, to the Jewish people, to the Jewish nation. Well, we know, of course, that eventually changed. Thank God for it. He says that the one who hears this gospel message, believes and is baptized, will be saved. And he who does not will be condemned. And then he shifts over to what those who believe can expect. And these signs will follow those who believe. Now, I think I'm probably maybe spending a little too much time on this point, but I'm going to go back to it again. This idea that miracles and healing and, and laying on of hands and and ministering to all kinds of sickness and disease and casting out demons, this lie that religion has tried to deceive us with that says these things are only for the original 12 holy apostles. Notice how the Bible just destroys that ridiculous notion because he's saying to those original apostles and a lot of other disciples, you go preach... And then those who hear your message and receive salvation will be saved. And they will, what? They will, uh, those who believe, verse 17, and these signs will follow those who believe. So he's saying that what follows here will be things that those who hear the original disciples, apostles preach, these are things that they will do. So what will they do? It says, in my name they'll cast out demons. In my name they'll cast out demons. Believers, not, listen now, this isn't apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. That's fivefold, right? This is speaking of every born again believer. It didn't say those who believe and are pastors, those who believe <clears throat> and are missionaries, those who believe, missionary evangelists, those who believe and are apostles. No, those who believe. Every believer is called to do the work of the ministry. And these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They'll cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. Isn't it amazing how there are those who say that speaking with new tongues means they won't use cuss words anymore. <laughs> They'll speak with new tongues. They'll clean up their filthy mouths and quit cursing like sailors. No, no, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the unknown tongues that come as the Spirit gives the utterance. He says they'll cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll take up serpents. Now listen, I, you say, was he talking about snake handling? 
Let's go back to trampling on serpents and scorpions. This is talking about, you know, it, it, it represents devils and demons. Again, these things are speaking of supernatural signs and wonders. Um, and in other words, they, remember he says, no deadly thing will hurt them. I have to be afraid of these things, afraid to touch these things. We can walk up in the middle of them and have authority over them. They drink any deadly, anything deadly will by no means hurt them. And then it says they will lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. Amen. Amen. I want everybody that's, unless you're driving, keep your hands on the steering wheel, but you can still glance down at your hands. I want you to hold your hands out in front of you right now for a minute. Okay? I want you to look at those hands because Jesus said as a born-again believer, you would lay your hands on sick people and sick people will recover. That's what Jesus said. That's not something I came up with. It's not something that, that you know, the Pentecostal denomination came up with or the Word of Faith denomination came up with or what have you. No, no. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said you would lay your hands on the sick and the sick will recover. I, I would just about guarantee you, everybody listening to me right now, knows somebody who's sick, knows somebody who could use some healing. Okay? When's the last time you've laid your hands on somebody who's sick? When's the last time you've actually stepped out in faith and, and put this into practice? Amen. Well, see, again, this is what I mean when I said earlier how the enemy is trying to steal these things from the church. Now, let me put up one more slide, and this will set the stage for where we're going to be next week. Okay? And that is this. An eternal God created you for an eternal purpose. An eternal God created you for an eternal purpose. Okay. When we talk about discipleship being the bridge between salvation and the fulfillment of your purpose and God-given destiny, it's, it's, it's necessary that we understand our purpose is not uh, something that Father came up with at the last minute, but it's something that He designed and intended for you before He ever created you. Meaning, you were created by God in light of your purpose with the ability to fulfill it. This is why I tell you that the most satisfying, meaningful life that you can ever experience this side of heaven is going to involve understanding your purpose and destiny and, and, and actively being engaged in doing what it is that Father God put you on this earth to do. It may be hard work, it may be long hours, but it will not be life-draining. It will be life-giving to you and it will be life-giving to others. Amen. Let me pray for you tonight. Father, thank you for this time together. And Lord, sometimes we flow and sometimes we plow. Father, sometimes we, we are planting uh, your word. And, um, and other times, Father, we're preparing uh, the soil of people's hearts uh, to receive it. And Lord, we've done some of both. 
uh, of those things tonight. And Lord, I just thank you that you are uh, stretching us. Uh, Lord, that you are, are calling us like Peter to get out of the boat of religious convenience and to step onto the waters of adventure uh, with you. Um, Lord, how meaningful it is to you and how satisfying it is to us when we use the authority in your name to destroy the works of the devil on this earth. Father, I, I know that the enemy is trying to steal this word. He's trying to uh, combat uh, people from laying hold of this. But Father, I thank you that he is bound and he is defeated tonight. And we publicize his demise and his defeat. And we glorify and exalt your victory and your word working mightily in us. Thank you, Father, for the life and peace that we have in you. For all those who join in with us tonight, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. Thank you for being with us this evening. Uh, about 20 minutes we'll be back live streaming again with our Wednesday evening uh, service here at Heritage. I know some of you are probably ready for a break, get, get something to eat, what have you. But I do just want to continue to encourage you to, um, these sermons are, are recorded. Uh, tonight will be part four of a series that we're ministering called Ready for Trial. And the Bible is very clear that Satan is going to haul your faith into the courtroom of life and challenge, contradict, and defy the things that you're believing to receive from God. And he has been far too successful and far too victorious over far too many of us because we simply have not been ready for trial. So pray for us tonight in that 7 o'clock hour, but also if you have time either tonight to join us live or later, I think those messages will be a blessing to your heart. Amen. We love you. Have a good night. Tell somebody around you good things coming.